0: <laughs> Hello, I'm Oliver Wang
1: and I'm Morgan Rhodes, you're listening to Heat Rocks.
0: Every episode we invite a guest to join us to talk about a heat rock, a slow burner of an album and it's only appropriate that today's selection is going to be DMX's debut album, It's Dark and Hell Is Hot.
2: Where my dogs at.
1: Yo, so it's almost been 20 years since DMX dropped its Dark and Hell is Hot, his debut album for Def Jam. The year was 1998. Notorious V.I.G. had died. Tupac Mm. had died. Mm. The rap game was recovering from an East and West Coast beef gone long and wild and they were ready for a new star, and they got one. Building a rep based in large part on his charisma, his crew, his angst, and his growl, the artist formerly known as Earl Simmons got at us. Dog, the album blew him <laughs> all the way up, slayed the charts with a couple of hit singles, and solidified his position as possibly the best hip hop artist with X in his name. No disrespect to Terminator X, Rhythm X, RBX, Rated X, Mia X, and X Clan. Yeah,
2: Get out,
0: dog. Uh, yeah. To talk about It's Dark and Hell is Hot, we invited Shea Serrano, author of The Most Excellent The Rap Yearbook, which came out in 2015, one of the best nerded-out tomes about hip-hop, and I mean that in the best, absolute best way possible. It's both insightful and delightful, and most importantly, it wholeheartedly embraces footnotes, which I think too many publishers are shook to work with. Shay is a staff writer for the ringer.com and was a core part of grantland.com both of which are uh, have been essential morning reads for me since they first got started. Shay, thank you so much for joining us here on Heat Rocks.
3: Yeah, no sweat. I'm I'm trying to make my voice real cool and mellow like you guys do. I <laughs> can't. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, Shay, you wrote an entire book about hip-hop going year by year, talking about the most important songs of those years, and we'll come back to that in a a moment. Why did you settle on this album? I mean, why did you settle on DMX and why this album by DMX in terms of what you wanted to talk about?
3: Well, if I look back at, like, the integral parts of my life, most of them have some sort of soundtrack, some sort of album paired along with it. Right. And for me, the end of my high school that's just this came out my junior year mm. I just had gotten a car I was like beginning to feel myself a little bit and this album came out and I happened across it totally by accident and it just became a thing that it's impossible to listen to DMX especially that album and not just feel it in your chest mm. and it was one of the first albums that did that for me you know we there were a bunch of like southern rap albums that had done that before like Master P was very good at that sort of thing or, or UGK even but with this one it was like this whole new guy who I had never heard of before and he just showed up and he's very intimidating on the cover and you listen to him and you're like this guy must be 10 feet tall it's just what he felt like and it just was the soundtrack for like the next two years all the way through until I left for for high school so the, it was an easy decision when I got that email you know what do you want to Talk about I talk about Dmx all day long.
1: Where were you when you first heard any Dmx song from this album? Where where were you the first time you?
3: I was in my bedroom. I'll never forget it because Mm. I I got the album from my grandmother. If you can imagine. Wow. Yeah, it was one of the grandma Serrano
0: was a beast. It was one of
3: these situations where she didn't know what the album was or what it was about, but she knew that I liked rap music. I was at the time I was living with her. My I, I. I left my parents' house when I was in the going to sixth grade. I went and I live with my grandma now, so we've got this relationship going on. So from sixth grade up through through the time I left college, I lived with her, and you know we had been together all of these years, and she sort of watched me grow into this this sort of fandom for rap, and so I, she that was just like she wanted to be supportive, and she wanted it was a a Christmas present, so she just grabbed a CD that she saw that looked like a rap album, okay. and uh. and gave it to me. And I just took it and played it in my room. Like, oh, this is heavy.
0: But imagine that if DMX had put out Flesh of My Flesh, Blood of My Blood first, because those both those albums came out in '98. Oh, yeah. Right. I I just have a hard time. And Im- I, I don't know your grandma. She sounds cool as hell. But like, I just can't imagine her looking at that album and being like, you know what, I'm gonna bring shade. I'm gonna bring home <laughs> this album for shade. Whereas the cover for you know, uh, it's dark and hot. Uh, hell is hot is not n- anywhere near as kind of. <laughs> as gruesome, eye-catching. Yeah. yeah exactly.
3: Yeah. I don't know. She might have grabbed it. I don't know why she, Fred, she did. Right. Uh, um, a goofy thing is like I thought that this was the thing we were doing now, so I gave her for a gift a, a copy of a Master P album, and she was like, "What the fuck? is this? Like, I don't want this at all." I said, "Oh, Grandma, I thought this was the thing we were doing now." And she said, "No, but yeah, that, I was in my bedroom uh, at the the first time I listened to it, and then I was like that was all I was listening to for the next at least the next year." Uh, like.
0: That's a great story. You grew up in San Antonio, yes. So in in that era, I mean, most of the Texas rap groups I can think of in the mid late '90s would have been (laughs) mostly Houston acts, right? I mean, obviously Ghetto Boys, uh, Scarface. You mentioned UGK. What was, was there anything really bubbling up locally in San Antonio at that point?
3: No, there was nothing. Not from what I could tell. It, it's a much different situation now when you're finding music. Mm-hmm. You can straight up just search like San Antonio rappers and find a whole list of them now. At the time, you had to know somebody who knew somebody. They weren't playing it on the radio. That Nobody was writing about it anywhere. It was just you had the music that got dropped down in front of you. Right. So that was for me, there was nobody in San Antonio who was doing any sort of thing.
0: Now, in your book, The Rap book, when you write about DMX in your chapter about the most important song of 1998, which you identified as being the Rough Riders anthem, you say of DMX that he is, quote, the most compelling person you have ever considered, meaning you, Shay Serrano, have ever considered. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate on that? What makes DMX so compelling to consider?
3: Well, for me, it was a situation where prior to writing that book, my relationship with DMX was strictly based off of that album. So I didn't know any background information. I didn't know how DMX became DMX. So when you're researching for the book, you, you we settle on the, the song that we're going to do, and then I'd spend like a month researching everything I can about this guy. So I, I started reading all of the stories about it. Like I read his autobiography, for example, or right. watch all of his interviews, and you start learning about this horrible childhood he had and this like very abusive environment he grew up in and then like his trouble with the law, and we've got this whole super interesting, compelling arc of this guy just sort of rising to power and then falling off a cup like, it's very just interesting to me. And there were little parts in it where I was like, I can sort of identify with this on a much smaller scale. And then other times it was like, you read or you learn about all the stuff this guy's been through and it's surprising what he was able to pull out of that. Like, a lot of his music, is, it's hard to tell when you first listen to it, but it, a lot of it is, is like drenched in this sort of, hurtful love mm. and it's because of all this stuff that he's been through so it's just that's why it's so compelling to me it's just like a good it's a good story yeah
1: i was just gonna say we talked about 1998 as being the year that this came out what else was going on in hip-hop in terms of albums that made this a heat rock for you as opposed to what else came out in
3: 1998 well the the big thing there was prior to that bad boy had taken over yes they sir. were they were everywhere right no and doubt. that's yes, what we were all listening to it was the whole sparkle suit, <laughs> Puff and Mason, these like they were just every single thing in rap was around those guys.
2: Can't get it up.
3: And DMX was like the total complete opposite of that. So that to me, that was like those were the only two things that that we had to choose from. At in nineteen ninety eight. In nineteen ninety eight it was Man. like you're either gonna be on this team or you're going to be on this team and I, I was very firmly like with Mace at the time and then DMX <laughs> came out and I was like, All right, Mace, I appreciate Harlem World. Say <laughs> But I'm over here now. with me, told you about fucking
2: with Stuck in the tree what you be like a cat. And I'm the dog at the bottom, looking up.
3: With with X, I'm gonna like
0: shave my head and I'm gonna start wearing <laughs> overalls with one hanging, like, and doing this sort of shit. What was it about DMX in comparison to what we were getting from the Mace and from Sean Combs and sort of from that era? Like, what was the inversion that was happening? Well, with, with Puff and with
3: Mace and all those guys, it was very aspirational. Mm-hmm. And all the stuff they were rapping about, it was like, this is a lifestyle I want to try to get to. Right. I'm, I'm reaching towards that. And when DMX came around, he just flipped everything upside down, and it was like, this is a lifestyle that I'm sort of pushing myself away from Mm. and that was a big it was a big big moment and right because if he doesn't show up who knows what the next few years look like because dmx is the reason that we got 50 cent in 2003 and you know what i'm saying yeah yeah because he was able to snatch that away from them and you know, there we go.
1: Diddy and Mace were very conspicuous consumption. Yes. Uh, almost everything was about what they had acquired. Yeah. Um, what they were driving, mm-hmm. what they were wearing. And DMX was completely different.
3: The whole, op- like, a, uh, like, a, like a Bad Boy album or a Bad Boy video, they're like driving Bentleys in the desert. Right. It just We're just going to blow it up just because we can get another one if we want. <laughs> and a DMX video was like it was shot on a fucking camcorder in a New York City nightclub without any permission we're just going to shoot in and go and it was beautiful and very just like pay attention to this it felt you could you know
0: that's the feeling you sort of chase if we can just backspin for a moment you know one of the most distinctive things about when dmx really explodes on the scene in this moment in in 98 um, was his voice and his flow i mean Mm. he's one has one of the most unmistakable voices in hip-hop but as much Uh, As that was a signature style of his, what's fascinating is if you go back five years to around 92, 93, with DMX's first release, which was this independently released 12 Inch, there's a song called Catching the Same Hell.
1: You know what? Dare I say it? This has a New Jack swing. Oh, it is. I know how you feel about New. (laughs) No, it's. I didn't want to go there. It
0: is so New Jack swing. It's very New Jack, (laughs) and the flow is completely different. It's very consistent with early '90s. Sure. You know, and Jay Z did something very similar. If you compare, you know, Jay of the late '90s to Jay of the Hawaiian Sophie era, like they sound very different. (laughs) But I mean, the, the contrast with DMX is really extreme to me yeah. so that's that's 92 and then 5 6 years later this is sort of the new demix that gets introduced to us
2: when you see that spark it'll kill people out pocket and chill take it over there walk with it from Iota Cali Baltimore back to New York with it come through fine up 129 up the school street cause I come through
0: so Shay, especially given all the background you did on it, what do you know of sort of his transformation and what I would see as the creation of this new persona, which he debuts with this album?
3: You know what I would—I would. This is just me guessing yeah. at it, but based on the, the stuff that we we know about him already, I would assume there was a moment where he was trying to make a, a song, yeah, and he was he was like he heard Dose Effects or whatever on the, <laughs> right. on the radio, and he was like, oh, this is what I got to do to get on, right? And he did that. And everyone was like, no, this isn't this doesn't feel right. Right. And the, he probably was like, you know what, fuck this. And then eventually he found the voice he do. Because if you listen to it, just on those two clips we hear it's the same sort of he's got the same rhyme. Like he's writing in a very similar manner, like on that last song. He says the, the bark is for real, the spark is for real. And if you hit his bargain it kill. And it was the same one on the song before that, he was like the hurt, jerk, da da da, da work. Like it's the same writing. Right. It's just a matter of how do I present this In the most authentic way possible. And that first version doesn't feel natural. Right. Maybe that's because we're sort of retrofitting it and we know what DMX became. Yeah. But to me, it doesn't sound right. And we saw, we're talking about Puff. It was a very similar situation where the first time anybody heard him rapping, he was doing this crazy, goofy... The opposite of the talk rap style that he eventually ended up on right, five right, or six right. years later. Yeah. Uh, back then he was like, L-l-l-l-l-l-l. like he was trying to sound like very <laughs> right. different. And it's, it, I imagine it's the same situation. You just find the voice that feels the most organic or natural and you throw that out there. And that was what people responded to.
1: My introduction to to DMX didn't come DMX alone. It was DMX and the Rough Riders, mm-hmm. right? And I didn't know. I was like, "Yo, is this a bike club? Is this a black club?" <laughs> That's what it was. Right? It was both of those things. Right, uh, it was just a, just a lot of dudes, especially in the video. And it just reminded me of like, to me, that um, you know, I'm West Coast raised, you know, and so it, to me, it was a very East Coast thing. I was like, okay, there's a lot of dudes in the street. It's crowded. I could only think of like Onyx and and and, mm-hmm. and Annie Up, you know, that that sort of thing. A little bit about Rough Riders. Was it more... How did DMX and Rough Riders get together? Like, what was that? Was like that his crew? Or how did this thing even get...
3: I'm going to throw that to you, Oliver.
0: Oh, I, I don't know what to do with that. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, here's the, here's the truth. When DMX came out with this... And to this day, I just, I've never been that into him. And I think partly because, you know, Shay, you were saying before that DMX, it, he created the soundtrack to this particular point in your youth, the transition between, you know, high school to college for you. You know, for me, that moment happened you know, seven, eight years prior to that 1990. And so I grew up on De La Soul and Tribe Cold Quest and DMX, not just vocally, but also musically, right? The kind of stuff that Swiss Beats was, was producing for him was really very much far away from the kind of melodic, jazzy style that you heard from these other artists. And so when DMX first dropped, I'm like, who is this guy who's like barking on on my songs? <laughs> like, what's up, what's up with all the synthesizer stuff? Like, sure. wh- what happened in the samples, man? So I mean, yeah. I was that guy in the late 90s. And so so I never bothered to really check to see like how did this crew come together? I think sure. out of that entire Rough Riders crew, it was really only Eve that I really wrote for cuz I just liked how she <laughs> sounded. <laughs> right, but, right. But I found DMX to be a very to me an acquired taste if you will. Sure. Yeah.
1: Uh, s- certainly with uh, the Rough Riders anthem. So that was really my that was my introduction, and um, whereas – did you want to say something? Well,
0: I was going to say, I mean, despite what I just said about DMX, that track is a banger. That, like, that's hard. It is undeniable. That, yeah, okay. That's yeah. hard. That's, perfect.
1: that's a hard track, and and I had to suspend my judgment because whereas you were bringing up, you know, the samples that you were used to, right? Uh, even though I'm a West Coast girl, I was a biggie devotee, mm. and I, I just think he's the king of similes and metaphors. I just think his wordplay is brilliant, so it was hard for me to get into stop – drop i was like yo
3: <laughs> you should you should be <laughs> rapping right now this is it you know
1: but but i was so just into the to the video, I was like, it was just a, a, a new culture f- for me. and mm-hmm. it, but, I, but I was also confused because I didn't know if this was his crew, if if they were introducing Rough Riders as, like I said, sort of a, a bike club. And then there was Eve. So, I mean, we c- we won't be able to see the video, but you know what I'm talking about. Right, right, right. 200 brothers was a lot on guys. bikes. there right? <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of dudes. <laughs> for, for, first, sort of the prison workout, you mm-hmm. know, dudes outside with no shirts on. And then, of course, the dogs. Yeah. So... Do
0: you want to- well, you, I Go mean, ahead. Shay, you wrote about Rough Riders Anthem in the rap yearbook as being the most important song of 1998. Yeah. And we've already talked a little bit about why you made that argument in terms of it. Inverting, you know, the ninety-seven Puff Daddy Mace style that came before it. I mean you have this really great turn of phrase where you say that DMX, quote, uh help turn one's eyes away from the moon and down into the dungeons, which mm-hmm. does feel very like you know. Appropriate. I wrote that. That's a you, good I, line. It is a good line. <laughs> <And that's laughs> <I genre. forgot. laughs>
1: you gotta put that on wax, man. That's
0: tight. But you just said, you know, just a moment ago when we were talking about uh Rough Rider Stanton being a banger, you said it's perfect. So what is it about this song that makes it perfect for you?
3: I really enjoy all of this, uh, every every single part about it. You've, of course, got this sound that you've never heard before, that sort of sitar. Right. That's going, like, who What is that? that? Yeah, what, yeah. I don't know what instrument that is. Right. I didn't know what instrument it was until I wrote about it for the book. I didn't even know that that was a thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand. Like you're talking about the pacing. Nobody had rapped like that before. Nobody has rapped like that really that well since then. It was all of these brand new things, and it was... A situation where you had this song that immediately felt very poppy, mm, but mm. it felt poppy with like the most amount of gravity I've ever heard a pop song sound. Like it, it, he tried to do the same thing with with up in here, and it it went a little too far toward the pop side. It didn't feel as as dirty or as intimidating. Right. But this one, it was like, yo, he just rapped he was gonna spit on this lady. Like I never <laughs> heard anything like that before. Right. You probably you, are you allowed to even say that type of stuff? And it just was a very it's an intense song to listen to, yeah. but one that also just fits in any situation.
0: It, then we split it. You right, we this was like a club song, right? But it's not like the kind of shiny club song uh-huh. that we, we, you know, we typically think of, especially right. for that era of hip hop. In that, this is something that would go hard in the club and people would dance to. But when you really listen to it and the feel of it and the lyrics to it, you know, again, it's not trying to be some like you know, Cristal in the club type tr- no. track. I mean, it's it is dirty. It is a dirty, it's dirty song. It's straight,
1: grimy, and you put that with the video, uh-huh. you know. Uh, you know then then to me it's it's really grimy you mentioned also in your book i don't know if it was on this particular song but you said there was something like 60 or something threats
3: mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah, is, yeah. It, is that on this song yeah it was on the there's like a whole chart we did for the album but yeah it was just full of threats every <laughs> all of everything
0: so who who are the where were some of the threats on there like who are they directed towards any anybody <laughs> just straight
3: up the
0: entire and that's what dmx was so great
3: about is like He's coming after everybody's neck. And so it was was an album you could put on, for example, if you're about to go play basketball. Yeah. And you put that on and you're like, I'm about to fucking drop 60 points (laughs) on these guys. But you could also put it on if you're about to get in a fight. Or you put it on for any sort of situation. And it always just felt he was very good about making it feel like a very specific thing without ever directly telling you exactly what that specific thing was so you just inserted all of your stuff into it i'd never had anybody who was like trying to murder me but i swore i did in 1998 when dmx said it the way he said it sure and i was like this is he's talking to me right, right now about me
1: but he also set himself up as 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 almost a little bit crazy and unpredictable mm-hmm. and one of my favorite lines is something like um you might think it's funny but you don't owe me money yeah it just lets me know that like don't you know don't test me I might yeah. be mild mannered, but yeah. I am also also crazy. And so yeah. it, it was. A, you can't take the the song away from the video. Mm-mm. And I wish with this. I wish we could, you know, watch it on this show. But it, you, you cannot separate. It could be a club jam w- without the video. Right. Once you see the video, it's you're like, just mm-hmm. like, nah.
0: We'll take a quick break. We'll be back with more Heat Rocks after this. Hello, I'm Carrie Poppy. And I'm Ross Blotcher, hosts of MaximumFun.org's Ono, Ross & Carrie. We wanted to tell you the good news that our podcast is now weekly. Yeah, weekly. On Ono, Ross & Carrie. we don't make extraordinary claims. We investigate them. We go undercover with fringe religious groups, investigate paranormal claims, and participate in pseudoscientific medical treatments and report our findings to you. In a time where alternative facts reign supreme, we cut through the murky spin to give you the real Deal on topics like UFOs, the anti-vaccination movement, Scientology, and even apocalyptic churches. We're even undercover for some very exciting investigations right now. Well, not right now, right now. Yeah, that would be unwise. That's Ono Ross and Carrie at MaximumFun.org. We show up so you don't have to. I <laughs> oh, love it. Oh, good oh, man, stuff. Oh, every time. Uh, well, I hope that you're enjoying this podcast you're listening to as much as we are pretending to. But anyway, why not listen to another podcast, too? It's called The Flop House, And on our podcast, uh, we have recently watched a movie, often a bad movie, and we review it on our podcast, but mainly talk about other stuff and, I don't know, hang out.
3: It's all about hanging out, feeling like you're, like you're being with your best friends. Who are your best friends? Us three. Dan McCoy, <laughs> Emmy Award winning writer for The Daily Show. Stuart Wellington, owner of the best bar in Brooklyn, Hinterlands. And Elliot Kalen, former Emmy winning head writer for The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. Former head
0: writer of Mystery Science Theater 3000, The Return. Uh, so many things.
3: Author of the upcoming children's book. All the right, Christmas, that's dog. enough. The Elliot's credits just go on and on.
0: Yeah, but if you like the idea of listening to. Th- funny guys talk about bad movies then why not come over and listen to the flop house it's uh, available at maximumfun.org or wherever fine podcasts are found so get out of here i'm also wondering cuz you know in your Intro, uh, Morgan. You're talking about how this this moment in '98. This is after Biggie and after Tupac have died, yeah. and there were definitely certain kind of pretenders to the throne of trying to be the next uh, Tupac. Ja Rule, perhaps being the most obvious case. But I always feel like DMX was trying to work somewhere in that kind of un- unhinged thug kind of lane, if you will. And is that a fair argument, or do you think that DMX was really something that was outside of the the, the Pac universe?
3: I think at the time he it was outside of what. Pac was doing mm. Tupac was very much the the like first movie screen type gangster rap guy that we had right. and everything after that got retrofit into his model and he was super into like I'm gonna speak for the people and I'm gonna do the, and there was a, a you know you could take any song and you found like there's some sort of social meaning that he's trying to, to stitch into this. And DMX felt like he's just getting this out of him, this anger, mm. this angst, this hurt. It was a whole separate thing. For me, it was a whole separate thing anyway.
1: No discussion of, of DMX is complete without mentioning his love of and his many references to dogs. Right, right, right. Uh, you know, on this first album alone, we've got Get At Me Dog, we've got For My Dogs, and then we have a, a bit of an explanation of what dogs really means uh, in the song Prayer.
2: You gave me the light and let me bask in your glory. So it was only right that when you asked for this story, I put it together to do our dogs some good. Our dogs being brothers and sisters in the
3: hood. Well, that's, you hear people use the term spirit animal a lot of times, and Mm. that's really what it was for DMX when you're talking about. The the way that he talks about dogs or speaks about dogs, it's like half of the time he's meaning it in a very literal sense. Like I have an actual dog with me, <laughs> <laughs> and then the rest of the time he's using it as his like the top level term of endearment. So I remember watching. I was watching one of the D M X documentaries, and he was talking about how anytime he goes into a new city for a tour, he's on a tour, so I'm just when he's first becoming famous, he would automatically go to like the worst part of town because he just felt more comfortable there. Mm. And then part of that was like you in those sorts of areas, you've got stray dogs that are running around and you just become, you know, you sort of a, adopt this mentality. And that's what it seemed like he did there. He had this 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 animal that sort of embodied all of the characteristics that he thought were the most interesting or important, like this sort of undying loyalty. And mm-hmm. he d- doesn't care about anything else except being with you and protecting you and being a part of your life. And that's what it, it was for for Dmx. There was another. He was on that uh, that big tour. They did like a, a video or um, like a documentary on it. And they were interviewing him, and he had the dog. And they were he was telling the camera like the only people I allow in my room with me are my dogs. And like he had actual dogs that he just carried around with him all the time. And it was like because he said he just felt more comfortable with them. Mm. He knows they're never going to turn their back on him. And I think that all goes back to the whole stuff about when he was a kid. And you you sort of are looking for that loyalty all the time growing up, and you've got a dog who you know will always be there for you. It's like this is a very interesting. I've got a dog right now that I care about very much because I know he's never going to tell my secrets that I told him. Mm. And all he wants Mm. to do is like, I can lay on the couch and eat french fries with me. And that's it. That's the only thing he cares about. He doesn't right. care about anything else. He doesn't care if I send a tweet about him or like if I have a book <laughs> coming. He doesn't care about anything else except just laying on my leg and eating a french fry. And it's like a very beautiful relationship to have. So it would make sense to me that he, that would be who he sort of grabbed onto or what he grabbed onto.
1: And it showed up in his flow because you got the barking, Yeah. you got the growling. He took
3: the whole thing. He's the, like, "You know what?
1: Adopted the whole the whole persona.
3: I'll just be a dog."
1: Whether it was his own song or I think he's got a song with, with Eve called Dog uh, Dog Match. So <laughs> yeah, you know all, what I'm saying is
3: it's all in there.
1: <laughs> it is all in there. Uh-huh. Got you
2: spotty, daddy. even before the dog. Uh-huh. Turn but a walk you know,
3: I was surprised, and I don't know maybe if I missed it, but I can't remember a video where he like turned into a dog. I don't know if that ever happened. That
0: sounds like it 100% happened.
3: Like it did with Snoop. Remember the Snoop video? When he turned into a Doberman? Do I? And it was like, it's gotta be there. When did that happen with DMX? I don't know. It seems like a very natural thing.
0: Yeah, how's it that that Snoop and DMX have never guest host at something like the Westminster Dog Show like wouldn't that just be (laughs) best in show yeah that that needs to happen gotta be so you know we were talking about Rough Riders Anthem as being you know not just the most important song on this album but the most important song of 1998 so that would Mm -hmm. be probably the fire track if you had a sleeper jam on this album what would it be Shay
3: my secret favorite one is definitely Crime Story Mm -hmm. it is just beautiful writing beautiful storytelling it's he, everything else got stripped away because you talk about you, you know, the production on all the other songs is, is, very, is always very interesting. Sound of this like stormy, thundering thing. And we're going to move all of that away. And here's a fucking bongo. Go nuts, DMX. And he just made this beautiful thing. Some Who is this I see?
2: Coming through, it's like three on the AM.
0: So, Shay, what is it that you're hearing in this song? I,
3: I hear perfection. I hear perfect rapping on that album. I hear perfect songwriting. I hear perfect... Uh, you hear people talking about, like, Conception albums or conception songs, like that's a perfect example of what it should sound like and what it should feel like. He tells this whole great story, starting with the beginning of his day, and sort of getting chased by the cops, and like he pretends to be this woman and to to escape, and like it's very just this whole clever thing. And it ends like in the most DMX way possible, not with him escaping. When you're, you're able to write this song, you can make it end however you want. He don't want to end with him escaping. He doesn't even want to end with him getting caught or in a shootout of any sort, he's just gonna walk into a police station and blow it up and everybody's dying too. And that was like that song is a perfect DMX song. If I'm playing one song for a person Yeah to understand why DMX why nineteen ninety eight DMX in particular is like one of the greatest rappers of all time, that's the song mm-hmm. that I that I have to pick there. He's fully confident and fully just in the moment. Broken, fucked up in the game. But now I
2: got an name uh-huh. and niggas know my name okay. I play like a bitch.
0: The thing about crime story that stands out to me too is that this is one of the few songs in the album that Swiss Beats didn't produce. Uh-huh. This was done by I think Irv Gotti and Lil Rob. You can hear it, yeah. And I mean, it's a it's a straight black exploitation era funk loop, right? And most of the rest of the album is not like that. Mm-hmm. And I think this is worth getting into in terms of the sound of the album because besides this album blowing up DMX, it was. Pretty much the introduction of Swiss beats to the world, and that his production style really defined, you know, late '90s, early '00s hip hop in terms of him using the Triton, which is a synthesizer. You know, along with Timbaland, these were like the main people leading the the charge away from sample-based production more towards synthesizers. Let's take a listen to, for example, uh, "For My Dogs" to kind of get a sense of that that Swiss beat sound. Up this of mine. What was it about Swizz's beats approach that spoke to you on a sonic level?
3: Uh, mainly, it's what you're talking about here. I had just never heard it mm. before. I never heard these sounds, and that's always an interesting thing. And more than just it being an interesting sound, it's got to be like a good interesting sound. And as spacey as they are, they do feel very like earthbound, mm. which is a hard thing to pull off. That that's a a wave he was able to To stay mm. right around the, the top of You know what I'm saying So when they Even when that song Comes on It's like You forget how good Every beat is Until you turn it on Because DMX is such An overpowering rapper you turn it on And you go Oh shit I forgot Like this is, this is a great Start to a song Even with just a noise Who, How do you find that How do you think of that Swiss was like The dude At that moment This is for my
2: dog. This is for my dog.
0: Also, listening to this again is there's a lot of space in his productions, mm-hmm. right? And that we were talking earlier about who rhymes like DMX and one of the things about you know stop, drop, right those the gaps in between he creates a lot of space in his flow too. And I, I guess that's one of the things that really works well in terms of how him and Swiss matched up is they were rethinking like everything didn't have to be dense it didn't have to be you know 30 words crammed into one bar like right? you could let things kind of breathe and create these little dramatic just the briefest of pauses but it sort of creates a different sonic effect
1: mm. and uh, to, to your point that you made earlier you said that it were, were it not for DMX we wouldn't, we wouldn't have 50 Cent this is the first time mm, so thank mm. you thank you for this but this is the first time in listening to him I can hear a little bit of the, the similarities in 50 Cent I have never thought about that before this moment
2: you <laughs> kingdom then I won't run up on you with the n***h uh-huh. We do this all the time Right now we on the grind yeah. So hurry up and cop and go selling n- uh-huh. show Chorda, she's so fine I gotta make her uh-huh. mine
1: Thank you for bringing it up, even in the, even in the sort of the sing songy flow. Because mm-hmm. that was one thing I did like about DMX is he had a little bit of a sing yeah. song songy flow, and he sounded good. He didn't mm-hmm. sound like a, a, a studio orchestration. So, yeah. Thank you for bringing up that point because now I listen to Fifty Cent a, a, a little, a little <laughs> bit more differently. All right, <laughs> I, I just didn't know. I just didn't see the similarities before. Right, but, right, right. But yeah, now I do.
0: You're saying '50s a biter? That's really what.
3: You're saying. <laughs> '50s great. We should. We could have done "Get Rich or Die Trying." Oh, we'll sure. do that for the next yeah. one. Right, right,
0: exactly.
1: <laughs> you know, a lot has been written about the demise of DMX. What's mm-hmm. happened to him over the years? Is to you? Is there anything in this album that hinted at uh, any sort of fragility of mind of spirit? I mean, this was 1998. Right. It's on top of the world. But are, is there anything in here that you thought?
3: Yeah, absolutely. That's basically what the whole album is for me. Is letting, It's like presenting this guy who is in a very bad spot in his life and is letting these things out and just sort of opening himself up as this vessel for, like you're talking about, with, with God. It was all yeah. very spiritual. He's even got the whole, like an actual prayer on the album. Yeah. Like that's, that's real to put that yeah. on there. yeah and he just is opening himself up but yeah it was easy to listen to it and and think okay this guy was going to be very good for a while and then his whole life is going to fall apart it felt like this is easy to see even when we were just talking about the crime story thing like all of his songs felt like they ended in that same way with him falling apart one of the first big songs he was on was that 24 hours to live with you know with uh mason all those guys i'm gonna
2: send you there i i've been living with a curse and it's all about to end but before i go say hello to my little to make it right reconcile with my mother try to explain to my son to my girl I love her see four coat snatch
3: up my dog turn like three villains on one the same thing happened in that one like he spent he, the, the premise of that song is if you had 24 hours to live what would you do and everybody else is like oh I'm gonna meet my mom I'm gonna take care of my kids I'm gonna do this and all of DMX's 24 hours were just like I'm gonna commit a crime I'm gonna commit a crime I'm gonna commit a crime, I'm gonna commit a crime and then I'm gonna, we're all gonna die 1998 DMX I'm putting them up there with any rapper in any year that you mm. wanna grab Give me 1990 BMX, mm. and we're gonna. It's gonna be. It's gonna be a competition. Oh, that is throwing down the gauntlet with that sure. one. Sure, it, yeah.
1: it, it is tough to to uh, to look at an album as as maybe being you know bright and uplifting. If you name it, it's dark and and hell is hot. Yeah, it's hard to come away from that and be like, this is gonna be great.
0: In terms of other songs on this album, that a "Crime Story" is one of the ones that sort of stands out sonically, but then thematically, I think one of the other surprises you hear on this. Um, is is basically the love song, right? Which is That's it. which is the how great. it's how it's going <laughs> great down. Love song.
3: That song is for me one of the best rap love songs of all time, and in part because we get this not even a new version of DMX, but we get a version of DMX this moment in the middle of all this chaos in the album because it's right around the, the middle of it yeah where it's like he's presenting all these crazy things and these terrible things but also like oh he might he might just be a normal guy who sort of just wants somebody to give him a hug <laughs> is, is is all this and he presents it in this in this very hardcore way like the song opens with a guy asking the, a woman whose dick you suck and like <laughs> that's a that's a gnarly way to <laughs> open a song to about o- to open a song about love is a gnarly way to, to have a com- that's by the way that is it's never funny if you do that when you call someone yeah, yeah. funny zero percent of the time <laughs> right don't don't try this it's really it doesn't it doesn't work but okay. yeah well, you've got this dmx who's rapping about love and it's and it's very a very atypical love song where he's like he's rapping from the point of view of not a guy in a romantic relationship but like a guy who's uh, on the side of a romantic relationship, and sort of double dutching his way in and out of it, and yeah. and he's being very delicate about it, and like I don't want to have to kill this guy, and let's you know let's handle it how we need to handle it, sort of situation, and is great. One of the sneaky things that he does on this album, and I I think he's done it better than basically anybody else has ever done it, is you can always hear when an album comes out and. You can tell when there was a conversation in the studio When the when a rapper was like, "Okay, we got, we got the club song. now we need a song for the women. Now we need a song for the guys. Now we, you can feel that sometimes in, in music, right and, but on this one, he does all of those things, and you never feel it. you, you don't realize until you look back and you're like, "Oh, he had this song yet, yeah, that's right." He hit all of the points he needed to, and it never felt weird, and it never felt forced, and that's why he was a genius.:' I think
2: I'm trying to get me. Enough, cause
0: If you were in charge of having one song off this album, either covered by a new artist or remixed at the very least, what song would you pick and who would you want to tackle it?
3: I would want somebody to try to do Crime Story mm. because I think that's the most challenging mm. could, because it's the most sparse and you're the most exposed there. And I think the guy that's going to do the best job of it is going to be Kendrick. Give me Kendrick and, Yo. And give me Kendrick over a bongo, and I think we got a hit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's very good at telling those same sorts of stories. Right. He's very good, and this is the thing that DMX is very good at, at taking a thing and being so specific with it that it just becomes universal. And that's what we saw Kendrick do on, on, each, of his, on each of his albums on Good Kid, Mad City. Right. It was like, I never lived this life that he's talking about, but I feel all of the things he's talking about, and I understand it. Same thing with To Pimp a Butterfly. Yeah. So, you know, it was like he can just zoom, zoom in on it so tightly that it feels like the whole world, and I understand.
0: I feel like this could be a theme every time on our show when we talk about a hip-hop album. Is there's just not a tradition of doing cover songs, and there's yeah. reasons for that in, in, in hip-hop. We don't have we to get into all of it, but it, it is too bad because that's one of the great things you see in jazz, in country, in rock, is that artists, bring their own particular take. I mean, there's no way that a Kendrick Lamar version of Crime Story would confuse anybody for being an attempt at doing DMX, like it would be Kendrick's own, and it would be great to sort of hear that attempt at, at at covering that, you know,
1: and to hear the nuances because because I would think that Kendrick would bring bring the whole band. You, you get everybody that was on to, to Pimp a Butterfly. Mm-hmm. You know I'm saying you get Kamasi Washington, mm-hmm. you, you, you might get Thundercat, his own little West Coast nuance of, of it. I think the reason why we don't hear that is because you don't want to be seen seen as a biter. The right. only time right. you ever see a brother doing a cover of anybody else is during a tribute.
3: Yeah, they're dead. You well, gotta ex- ex- die, ex- right.
1: Exactly, but uh, but but that might be cool.
3: We, I remember how big of a thing it was when Snoop did Lottie Dadi, and it was but, like everybody. It was a very very big split. It was like everybody sort of you either hated it or right. you thought it was the best thing in the world. Right. You know what I'm saying? I was on the best thing in the world part just because. Oh, same
0: here. Yeah. yeah, it sounded great and made sense, but you you wouldn't you didn't think that. Snoop was biting, you know, Dougie Fresh and no. Slick Rick. Like it sounded like Snoop doing his own thing, but riffing it's off. Like, of his a, like a hat tip. Good job exactly. Guys. Was, sure. Exactly. Yeah. Morgan, is there anything else you wanted to ask?
1: If you had to describe "It's Dark and Hell" is hot in three words, what would they be?
0: It's fucking perfect. Okay, that's one. You got two no, more? No, that's three. That's three words. Oh, there you it go. Doesn't it's doesn't fucking work. perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Give me that. I love it. Yo, He's cheating, but I like that. You're, you, you, you did honor the it. question. That works. Yeah. <laughs> I love it.
1: That'll do it for this episode of Heat Rocks with our special guest, Shay Serrano, staff writer at TheRinger.com and author of the most excellent The Rap Yearbook, available at finer bookstores near you. Shay, thank you for coming through. Where can people find you?
3: Uh, I'm on the internet All the time Shay Serrano Just type that in And there I am
0: Shea you also have A brand new book So you have the Rapier book Which came out A couple of years ago But you have a Brand new book That uh, just came out uh, Just a couple months ago what, Tell us about that
3: That is the It's called Basketball and Other Things It's a basketball book And it's beautiful And I love it <laughs>
0: Check for that. You've been listening to Heat Rocks with myself, Oliver Wang, and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One. of People under the stairs, shout out to Thess for letting us use it. This episode was produced by myself, Morgan Rhodes, and Nick Liao, engineered by Nick, and edited by Kara Hart. We are part of the Maximum Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the kinetic West Lake neighborhood of Los Angeles.
1: So be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. You can find a link to our Facebook group on our webpage, HeatRocksPod.com. That's where we'll post show notes for every episode, including a track listing of everything you've heard today and more goodies. Again, that's at HeatRockspod.com. Good to see you, Oliver.
0: Good to see you too, Morgan. Mm-hmm.